With the inception and traction that blockchain and crypto has gathered, the world is possibly on the verge of the largest evolution since the mainstream of the internet. Given the fluidity and dynamic nature of this technology, business leaders, enthusiasts, and veterans all need to band together to navigate the current and upcoming storms. Participants in Web 3.0 want a trusted resource that gives them pertinent information about projects, tokens, technology, and businesses. We are business people talking the business of crypto. We are Y Whales. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, Y Whales, wherever in the world you are today. Uh, so it is June. 8th, uh, 23. And um, let me tell you, it's, it is a roller coaster out there right now. Ginsler is just, he, the dude's got like a stack of lawsuits with blank names on them, and he's just sending them out to anyone that he can find. Uh, Bitcoin, which was holding relatively stable in the you know 28 to 30, kind of bouncing back and forth, is now uh, kind of trending down to 26. Uh, and I don't even want to talk about any altcoins because they're just getting <laughs> destroyed. Um and I think it's really interesting to kind of you know start off this, this podcast and, and talk about that that suddenly any altcoin is now just a security to to Mr. Ginsler here in the United States and and I understand globally that's a very different perspective, um, but but I think that's a really big stone to kind of toss out into the arena um, that that now everything regardless of of how decentralized regardless of you know I think you can argue either way but without any arguments they're just suing the exchanges um, and saying they're they're that these are now uh, securities without any really providing any guidance on them individually. Um, the, Binance is under attack as well as Coinbase. Uh, Binance, they're, they're, they're threatening to, to freeze everything. Um, and I, I think that this kind of goes around a few different ways. Number one, I think our industry did this to ourselves. Um, I think we use terminology and I think that we do uh, a number of um, you know, really kind of questionable actions that that are we're testing technology, um, but we're using terminology and we're offering um, you know kind of what we what would be considered mature tech mature financial vehicles um, that are really in experimental phase and without a lot of you know uh, traditional regulatory guidelines. So I, I I don't think that there's a lot of wrong or a lot of rights going on, but I think there's a lot of wrongs on both both camps right here. Um, that being said, we're not here to talk about too much of, of regulation. Uh, we're here with Mert from uh, Transfer Chain, and I've got my uh, amazing co-host Abe with me. Um, so I'm, I'm really excited for this one, because I think that there's a lot of people that are working very hard on how to manage the next version of Web3. And, you know, the days of, you know, the, the crap coin ICOs and, and you know, the uh, NFT uh, PFPs of, of no actual value that are selling for hundreds of thousands to millions of dollars, well, you know, saying that they're going to offer, you know, potential extra returns or you're going to do better. Um, we're seeing a lot of that fade into the background. We're seeing real utility and a lot of big industries and asset classes that are super interested in blockchain technology. Um, and I think we have one of the coolest, uh, you know, kind of technologists right here, which is which is transfer chain. And you guys really have some amazing tech. So that being said, before we dive into what you've built today, um, Mert, if you want to start with a little bit of your background of kind of where you came from and, and how you got so into uh, blockchain. Of course, of course. Uh, dev work. Well, but by the way, thank you for the introduction, Jay. I mean, it was a nice, nice, nice summary of maybe a few past years that we had. Big roller coast. Um, but coming back to Transit Chain and coming back to me, really, um, I'm actually from Istanbul, uh, but I kind of grew up in the States. Uh, so I did my undergrad and my high school studies uh, around Boston, um, spent around eight to 10 years. 
uh, started off as a computer engineer, then switched to finance, interestingly. Uh, but it was back in my high school when I first uh, had my first exit. It was a mobile application, um, kind of like a live radio with music producers, like DJs. Um, and then I bought my first Bitcoin Antminer S1 back in 2014. That was a thing. Um, and then when I was in the undergrad, I had another startup, uh, kind of like a social networking thing that failed. Obviously, it's not easy to start a new social networking app nowadays. Um, but I was always into the technology when it comes to uh, blockchain. And since 2016 and 17, been really part of the whole crypto sector as well. Um, but after leaving college, I worked at Deloitte, um, like in the big four. I also worked in PwC, uh, both in the audit department, in the M&A department, in the valuation department, really all over the place. Um, but during those times, um, I literally on hand, firsthand, I saw how badly the company precious data was managed. Um, like there was some big, big, big flaws. And that kind of like introduced me into transfer chain where I met my co-founders and we've been really working hard to maybe resurrecting one of the most important uh, human rights of the 21st century, which is privacy and basically security. Um, so in the past four years, really been tough because uh, we've been building, building, building and building. But nowadays it's now growing and growing and growing. So I hope that vibe continues. Uh, but really, I feel special uh, to be here chatting with you guys. So thank you. Awesome. I just want to point out, if you had an ant miner in 2014, like you were like, <laughs> you, you were the coolest dude on the block and you probably contributed more to, uh, to Bitcoin success than you realized because there was, you know, that was still very early of people saying, I'm willing to actually invest hardware, you know, actually buy hardware and mine these things. Cause you know, it's, they were a couple hundred dollars, you know, I think at that point, right around then they'd kind of broken that, the, yeah. the, the three digit mark. Um, but a majority of mining was was still happening on home computers passively, like, hey, you know, I, my screensaver's on. You just do that. <laughs> yeah. thing. I don't, I don't and know. it was literally the first version of Ant Miners, like S1. Uh, I still have it with yeah. me. I don't know, somewhere around here, but. Uh, now I keep it. As well. I, they, I was at I was at Bitcoin Miami. They had them on display in a in a you know museum rack. Exactly. So hold on to it, man. It'll, it'll okay. continue to be part of history. Um, so that being said, you know I think it's amazing that you've been around the industry for a long time. You've you've you know been very interested in, in nodes and protocols and and how all the, the everything works. Um, let's talk about transfer chain because I think you're solving some really complicated problems in a very elegant solution. Um, and and I'm going to be frank. I've never used it, but I really want to understand more. So. So, in the most simple terms, transfer chain makes the cloud private. We make it private and we make it secure for businesses so they could be using end-to-end -end encrypted and distributed cloud storage, um, file transfers, file requests, and even messaging. Uh, we built this uh, and we tested this with multiple customers throughout the years. So it, it wasn't like we closed down and went down to a cave and built it ourselves. We really built it with companies and corporates around us. But uh, our protocol upgrades any application with 100% privacy and security. Uh, but to start off, instead of just hitting an SDK and opening like APIs and everything, we wanted to build our own interfaces and our own products as an end user, you can easily imagine transfer chain as maybe 
like a Dropbox interface, a WeTransfer interface, or WhatsApp interface when it comes to your mobile. But at the back end, the whole another orchestration is happening. And to our knowledge and to our advisors' knowledge, it's the world's most private and secure cloud protocol out there right now today. That's amazing. So, in a in a world, and I, get, I I work in the same industry, and and you you probably face the same problems I do, which is it's information, it's free, it's decentralized, it's you know anonymize it here and there, but it should never be restricted. And and I'm going to say I, I agree with your thesis. I think that you know any major corporation, you have to have your rights to privacy. You have to have your rights to say you you know Abe, you can see you know X Y Z, um, and Mert, you can see A B C. But I may not want those to be you know like if I want to actually be in business on chain, I should have a choice of, of some of some of these things. Now, I think, you know, again, there's there's a lot of nuances there, but how do you determine, um, you know, kind of your moral and ethical right and wrong on, on how you're doing this? Well, to be honest, like, it has to be a choice of the, that corporate or that human being when it comes to sharing their data. And until now, the whole cloud industry was basically built to monetize the data, but we're here mm-hmm. to really protect the data for both B2C and B2B. Uh, and when it comes to the analogy of like privacy and security, I don't have to drop names here. Anyone can imagine and ask these, this question to themselves. But if I ask you, do you think your data at X cloud is secure? Most likely you're going to say yes, because like they're the top five companies out there. But if I ask you the same question, Jay or Abe, regarding do you think your data at this X cloud company is private? Most likely the answer is going to say no. We believe, yeah. and this, this is not just me, like you can ask well, our, our whole team, 25, we have 27 team mem- members, including us. You can ask each one of them and ask, well, can privacy, can secure, well, can security exist without privacy? No. The answer is no, because they have to be interconnected. A data has to be both secure and private to be really 100% private or secure, because if your data can be accessed by that X company, and if they're using that data or selling it to other companies or, I don't know, sharing it with um, department or another company when it's needed, that's a red flag. That's no-go. And we really built this protocol to prevent that. So... Walk me through from kind of start to finish. I've, I, let, let's let's uh, let's do t- kind of two different use cases. There's a personal one of you know I'd like to store my 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 kind of photos and videos of, of things that are personal to me um, versus a corporation that that has you know assets that they want to make sure are never lost, can never be deleted, can never be you know these are important you know kind of assets to them. Um, is it the same path or is it a little bit different for each use case? The protocol works the same. Of course, there are small nuances that that B2B customer can change. For instance, like a residency option, they can choose the United States and their data is automatically migrated and split and distributed in the States or Europe. Uh, So there are those kind of small nuances. Uh, But when it comes to the core architecture, it's very much similar. So let's just give you an example that if Jay was to upload a file to Chance to Change today, before that file leaves your client, it first gets encrypted end-to-end on your client. Before it leaves, and by the way, the end-to-end encryption is getting common nowadays, which is a good thing. We love that. We support yep. that. Uh, please keep it going. But before that data leaves your client, we also split that file into multiple little chunks, Jay. And then these chunks, unlike the traditional methods where 
everything is stored in a centralized server. We then distribute it among different uh, providers. And here's a small catch. You probably know Filecoin, you probably know Sia. Like, there are a lot of companies out there that are doing peer-to-peer -peer structures. But since 2018, 19, when we first sat down, we were really targeting the B2B customers. And when it comes to the differentiation of us and to those very good players out there, uh, there's a, a big gap there. Uh, they chose peer-to-peer, -peer, which we respect, which we love. But when it comes to the business industry, it might not be the best case scenario because if I tell UBS and go to Switzerland and tell them, look, I'm going to take your bank data and split it to random people's computers, that's a question mark. So we chose to use the world's safest providers. So each data, when they're encrypted and split, they, they get distributed to AWS, Azure, Google Cloud, you name it. It's provider agnostic, so we can integrate anything you want. And then all the metadata itself, Jay, goes back into the blockchain, once again, encrypted with your key. So if someone asks me, where's Jay's data? As a co-founder of the company, the only answer that I could give them, who's Jay? Please introduce me to him. Yeah, and I think that I think that's absolutely you know kind of the correct answer in my book as well. And and for people that don't understand big data and and big companies that that have uh, protocols and, and fiduciary responsibilities and stock compliances and oh my god, it's 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 never ending. Um, you know the big companies like a UBS, there, there's probably a, a hundred person department that's doing nothing but making sure that they're being compliant. And while we can sit here as as blockchain nerds and say, oh, it's decentralized, it's secured, the cryptography is is sound. Um, all they have to say is, you know, that the checkbox is going to come back, and it, it may be archaic to some of us. It's going to say, "Do you know where this data is?" And if you and if you say no, then then you're out of compliance. Exactly. And, and so it's it's a little bit of the technology is kind of we are bleeding edge here. Um, and while we're saying, you know, it's it's you know mutable, you can never no, it's hashed. You, you can't get into it. it. When you're talking about multi-billion-dollar companies that that. You're, this is not a you know sure. generally always a cheaper yeah. way to do it. Like they're they're gonna you know, that's why people buy IBM. It's not because it's the best. It's just that nobody. It's that old saying: no one gets fired for buying IBM. And so I think that what you've done here is really interesting because you're trying to blend the two. You're trying to say, look, if you don't care, if you're a personal user, it's up there. Nobody cares. You believe in the technology, use it. But hey, if you're corporate and you do have compliance and regulations that you have to follow, then then here's an alternative path. And I, I don't think enough uh, Web three developers really think through that. And it may just because they don't have that that back, you know, uh, that experience in in this asset class. No, exactly. And maybe working big four. And having experiencing like the perspective of the corporates so in depth maybe helped us. Uh, but I believe it's one of the key reasons we can enhance and speed up the adoption, like the big adoption when it comes to the blockchain and kind of finding that sweet spot between today and tomorrow. There has to be a I mean transition. Just it's not like like boom, we have to. Mert, I'm I'm really impressed by the thoughtfulness um, when you approach to this uh, this product, and and I know that you have a background in product design as well, and you come from the big four, and it sounds like you did really a great job doing a, a, a product market test cycle, um, especially with corporations. What was some of the you know the the theory that you're putting together, the idea that you're putting together, really makes sense. Um, but when you were doing these interviews and when you were going through a design phase, what were some of the surprising things you learned that was a need, um, whether realized or unrealized need by some of these corporations? Because it sounds like 
there's a lot that you learn from there, but that can also be translated to other sub-industries as well. Maybe government agencies who are looking to do the same thing with, with data that's being shared. So could you share some of the things that you've learned that was a surprise during those experiences? Um, that companies want a lot of control, like not just mm. like outside of the organization, but inside the organization as well. To a level of wow. like, okay. I would be like, Guys, like that's kind of like breaching the like privacy within your company. Um, oh, but okay. there probably a lot of bad things happened within those corporations that they're so um, fragile and they don't want to take any risks. Uh, but a lot of companies wanted to like have a lot of control, meaning what data is being shared, like doing inspections within each Word document, each PDF document that's being shared and trying to find those keywords and fl flagging them. And whenever it's necessary, like taking pre precautions and everything like that. And for us, that has been a challenge, uh, especially because for us, the moment that data is leaving your computer, it's already encrypted and split. So on the fly or on, on the rest, we don't have any clue what that file or what that data is. So there was that interesting nuance when we were in touch with these corporates that some, most of them, some of them, they really want to touch the company data at all given times, uh, wow. which is understandable. But at the same time, there's a small paradox there. So right now we're finding ways of integrating those as well, like DLPs and everything. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's interesting. And um, I think... There are a lot of things that are holding back the blockchain industry, and one of them is user experience. And that's why we had to sit down. These were not just like a Zoom call interviews. We literally went and spent days at the corporates, worked with different, different departments of teams, IT security, but also marketing and sales, also C-levels, right. uh, to see what they're used to, what they're using right now, and really took those user interfaces and experiences and spent so many hours on finding the best. And to be honest, like if you were to compare our UIs, UXs with the big players out there today, I'm pretty assured, I'm pretty confident that we can easily battle with them. And I can sometimes say, okay, we're in this spot, we're actually better. Uh, but it's been tough. It's been a tough ride. Dave. Yeah. It, yeah. When you think about, you know, corporate data, I mean, for there, a lot of people have Dropbox and they, <clears throat> they play around with Dropbox and I'm going to assume that's one of your web two competitors. <clears throat> But you know, Dropbox has you know a lot of nuanced controls for a, a personal accounts. When you go over to the business account, um, Abe as as a YWL's team member, you can say it's it, it's a almost a nightmare sometimes with how granular these controls can get. You know how who has access, yeah. what days do they have exactly. access, can they read, can they write, and and I will say as someone who's run you know large you know enterprise companies and in, in a former life I did a bunch of consulting for multi billion dollar companies. Everything, every person, and you need it to be integrated. And sometimes with you know Office three sixty five, Gmail, you know there's there, there's tools that the IT companies like. If you can't integrate with you know single sign on, um, then you know right. we're not gonna we're not gonna do this work for you. And so the corporate world is a very hard one to break into. Whereas you know a lot of like web wall, you know the, the web three wallet, it's like binary. It's either you have access or you don't have access. And so like there's no bigger nightmare I can imagine than than a you know, enterprise accounting office sharing a seed key to a single wallet that they're theoretically going to be moving money around. You know, we have Fireblocks. Fireblocks is sixty, seventy thousand dollars yeah, a year. It does give those granular controls and does it absolutely perfectly and amazing. It's still 
10 times more complicated than using a traditional um, enterprise bank. And that's so accurate, Jay, because specifically, yes, single sign-on, Active Directory, all of that, man, like they're asking about it. I respect it. And compared to what we have built, of course, these are a lot more like straightforward, easy peasy additions and which we are currently doing. And we have our roadmap, public roadmap. So even our customers or our users are dropping in ideas and we're ranking them. And we are very transparent when it comes to our progress. Um, so it's been tough and now we're working on those straightforward features, as you've mentioned, it has to be there if we want to integrate to today's business world. Why don't you dive a little bit more now that you guys are, are working with clients, dive a little bit more into these sub industries that you, um, see are gravitating towards this type of, uh, this type of technology. Um, you probably started off with finance. It sounds like that might've been experience or just your network. And so just by default, you probably had a gravitational pull to there, but do you see this shifting into other areas, um, both in the traditional sense or the web three, maybe there's a, a gaming component that you guys are looking at, um, as far as target market. We'd love to know more about that. Yeah. I mean, yeah, FSI is one of the biggest industries when it comes to data breaches and like privacy breaches. So it's clearly an easy target. Uh, but I feel like every industry should be taking precautions and start using and changing those traditional methods. There's so much data in the healthcare uh, that's so important, so valuable. At the same time, right now we're like um, integrating to law firms because at the end of the day, they have a lot of private data that they're sure. constantly transferring. Right. So we are partnering up with law firms, having some additional customers from Europe, from Turkey. At the same time, uh, a lot of interest from insurance space as well, because again, that's a lot of valuable data. And hopefully uh, we'll be doing a few POCs with the biggest giants out there, but I cannot drop yeah. names because uh, we haven't signed the contract yet, but they're European-based insurance companies. Uh, and every step because it's interesting companies are taking these security and privacy uh, advancements but they have to also reflect that to their customers there's a small nuance right. there it can be a potential huge competitive advantage uh, not many companies are still realize, realizing this but a lot of surveys out there that are going to do consumers and customers they're very questioning when it comes to data privacy of their own data and Absolutely. companies can really flip that to their advantage, but that's that's basically it. Yeah, you also touched upon an interesting point. Um, you mentioned that you were uh, engaged with the Turkey private sector, but I also know that Turkey, as a government, also has been introducing um, blockchain technologies. I think with with identification and um, and uh, some public public services as well. Could you? It'd be fun if you know, given your perspective, if you could elaborate a little bit more about the Turkey's government in that direction and perhaps other countries that might find this of interest as well. I mean, Turkey's has always been and still is a gray area when it comes to the regulation, mm. when it comes to the blockchain area. Um, they're doing a good job uh, when it comes to privacy. Mm. Um, a lot better than the States, to be honest, because there's GDPR in Europe and that we have a, something right. similar in Turkey. But when it comes to the blockchain, it's very much gray area. And to be honest, my knowledge is mostly in Swiss because uh, our company is also HQ in Switzerland. Uh, and That's the main right. reason so. why we chose that was obviously data privacy regulations and obviously the blockchain regulations are so advanced in Switzerland. And we just, when right. it comes to the safety of our customers' data, 
we want to be in the safest country and safest regulation area as well. And that's why it was a bit costly, but that's fine. It is the right choice to be in Switzerland. And um, it's. I think every country should be basically looking close to what Switzerland has been accomplishing when it comes to regulation. Well, I'll be in, in Zurich in, in two, three weeks because I'll that's be there, where yeah. we're... Uh, we're Please. Perfect. Okay. We'll, let's meet up. Good. Let's hang out. <laughs> Um, but it, and I think it's really, I think this is one of the, the saddest things to me. I'm a, you know, a red, white, and blue American. Um, you know, I have spent decades building companies, you know, employing, employing people and, and, and so much. And I, I don't know anyone left that is willing to invest capital, um, or energy into the United States, you know, related, related to this. And, and from the, the country that built web one, you know, that really launched the internet and, and put together, you know, um, you know, I can and and you know, good regulatory bodies that 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 had common sense. You know, the DMCA um, isn't perfect. Uh, you know, Section two thirty isn't perfect, but but at least it was like, hey, here we're going to give you a, a base framework to work mm-hmm. off of. Versus what we talked about during the opening, which is like, we're just going to sue you all now, <laughs> and any of you that survive the lawsuits, you know, maybe we'll let you continue continue doing business. But what what they're missing there is. The thousands, tens of thousands of, of startups are are like I'm going to Switzerland, I'm going to Cyprus, I'm going to Dubai. I mean, that's they are welcoming us with open arms and saying, "What you're already doing today, you know, is regulatory compliance." You know, they may need to add a couple nuances there, and we're perfectly happy to do so. Tell us what you want. You know, you want you want KYC, AML, OFAC compliance. You got it. You want transparency on you know audits and, and regulatory uh, compliance. Not a problem. But what are those? And so I, I, I completely, you know, with, with a little pain in my heart, you know, I'm, I'm thrilled to see that, that the EU and, and a variety of other countries around the world are, are accepting blockchain technology, recognizing that no matter what we think, SWIFT is dead. Um, it, it cannot keep up with, with the rate of innovation. It's like saying, hey, we're, we want to protect the fax machine industry because, <clears throat> you know, copper phone lines, you know, they're there. They've already been installed. Everyone's got it. You know, you can, you can use a phone. You can use a fax machine. Why do you need anything else? Like, come on, guys, and 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 that's really kind of been the challenge is that anyone that did reject, you know, Web One thinking or say I didn't, you know, I don't want to have email integrated in my company, fell behind, you know, very quickly, you know, in the early two thousand. No, it's a fact, and I, to be honest, like these recent news was unexpected for me personally, but what I learned from the industry in the past ten years is basically always expect the unexpected. It's cliche, but it's true. Uh, there has been so much investment, so much growth in this United States regarding the blockchain industry as well. Uh, we're in a weird state, but we always have been in a weird state when it comes to this industry. So I'm kind of used to it. I'm like, okay, not surprised. I'm curious about what's next, to be honest. Go for it, Dave. Uh, speaking about different regions, and I know that you guys have this web of networks and and, and part of the decentralized um, uh, method here. How do you go about selecting your your subregions? You know, I, I think if correct me if I'm wrong, I think Filecoin has a significant number of their um, presence in in China based uh, locations. Um, so you know that might be off limits to a, a number of clients out there. But how do you go about selecting your regions and and sort of uh, working that out with your clients as far as where their where their data are dispersed? So Abe, there are two types of data that we have one of them is the content itself that's like the corporate's Mm -hmm. sensitive files your personal photos family pictures everything that is being encrypted and split and distributed among 
basically anywhere you would like, anywhere we integrated. So far, we have multiple locations in Europe. Uh, we have a location in Turkey. We have a, different locations around the world, but most of them are around Europe. And whenever a customer on their sign-up process chooses a residency location, their whole company right. data is automatically migrated in Switzerland, for instance, or in Frankfurt. Um, but when it comes to the nodes, when it comes to the blockchain nodes, uh, there's also an interesting nuance there because we started utilizing our customers, literally our B2B big, big, big clients to run, to run those okay. nodes. And interestingly, once again, instead of giving them like token rewards or like other stuff when it comes to the incentivized incentivization when it comes to running those nodes, we didn't want that path as well. We actually went to an incentivization of uh, discounts. So for instance, UBS could be using TransChain in the future. Uh, they have what, 5,000 employees and maybe their monthly cost is 200K, okay? If they were to be running a node, they automatically get a 50% discount. And how much do they have to pay to run that node? Not much than a few hundred dollars per month. So then you take a step back and look at transfer chains nodes and you'll be seeing the biggest corporates around the world. So kind of like biggest companies that you can trust, biggest places that you can trust are running these nodes. Uh, we also believe that's going to be bring a huge advantage in the later game uh, in the future and upcoming years, kind of like showcasing how these two industries can correlate and work together at the same time, how these big corporates are helping uh, decentralize this system and its core with their own hands. It's very sticky. Very yeah, sticky. I think one of the coolest things is that you are recognizing, you know, data loss and it's very easy to say, eh, it's decentralized as hash. You know, I, I keep referring back to this because that's the way most of web three just is, you know, we don't, we don't need to apply this regulation to our technology because our technology is different. No, it's not. Um, you know, and there, there's, um, we've seen a few other people attack similar problems like this, uh, in, in like the healthcare industry. And then, and in healthcare, you have, you have to, uh, abide if you even want to think that you're going to, you know, do any amount of business, um, in there. And so I, I love the thoughts of like, there's options, like you're, you're, you know, it's, you're localizing the data in, in certain sense, you're decentralizing it as much as possible. If somebody doesn't care or it's personal, like, Hey, we'll, we'll do the traditional web three thing. Um, but I also love the idea of, of incentivizing large businesses that generally have amazing data centers and tons of server space, yeah, uh, definitely. to, to say, Hey, participate in this network in a, in a, in a meaningful way. Um, and just that participation is going to lower your, your cost over Overall, it, it's probably a little hard for the billing department and the IT department to, <laughs> to collaborate on on how they'll that's going to exist. But, but the fact it's there. Yeah, it is. No, I think it's a cool idea. And I think more and more uh, Web3 companies will be implementing this idea as well. I haven't seen another Web3 company yet. That's probably my bad doing this. But probably there are companies out there utilizing this model and this case scenario as well. You, you actually have like a UI UX. <laughs> like, it, mm -hmm. it, is there, it, you've, and it seems like overall, you know, it's, that's why I've been looking down at my computer. I'm just, I'm playing with it. Um, Web3 is kind of in the background. Like, it, it's there. You're being very clear that it exists, but there's no MetaMask login. There's no nothing. Like, this is, this is a, a true, you know, um, Web2 experience with a Web3 backend. You know, how, how did you actually, bridge that gap? Because I know so many people and so many protocols and projects 
that they say that that's what they're going to do, but at the end of the day, it's the Web3 just appears and drives you crazy. I mean, maybe since day one, Jay, like it has been one of my favorite, like the first MVP we had, I designed it myself, like the whole UI UX was shit. Like it was really bad, but it still made sense. It was simple to use. Um, and when we were building and expanding the team, we have a great team when it comes to tech, when it comes to like business marketing and everything, but also the UI UX team. Everything is in house. We do not. We did not outsource the UI UX. Every single period, every single pixel is designed by the whole team. And when it comes to expanding and showcasing these to our users. They, the end user can only trust something that they know how it works or how it looks or how it feels. When you bring a MetaMask, when you bring those Web3 tools and everything, they start to like question it and they start to get afraid. It's, maybe it's not, we're not ready. Maybe we need a few more years when it comes to bridging that. Obviously, when, when, if you're doing a crypto wallet, you have to have those. But as a cloud company, I don't really have to have a MetaMask. And as an end user experience, literally look at Dropbox, look at WeTransfer, look at WhatsApp. They're great companies and they really ace that user experience. And we did not uh, go and, I mean, go to the United States, find the continent once again. Like we basically sat down and looked at these guys and improved from them and followed the new trends. And I'm, pretty strong when it comes to our UI UX. Everything is so simple, so nice to use. Uh, and I think that's going to be very helpful as, as we continue to scale and as the word of mouth continues to get around for transit chain in the future. How, how are you, like, so So speed is still, you know, kind of, I think probably the, the biggest, you know, um, difference between a web two and web three. So we've got more security, you know, there's always that trade-off. You, you know, you got three different things, you know, you get to pick two. You get you get speed, you get security, and and you get reliability. And it and you know most likely you've got the reliability and the security. How do you how do you get the speed to be you know excessive of these these major data centers that have the CDNs and I mean you know like Azure. No, nobody cares if you're on Azure or or S3. They just know it works and it works fast. And you and you're moving things. How how can you get that speed to be uh, on parity? That's a very good question. And I think now you were talking about it, that classic triangle. Uh, came into my mind as well. Yeah. Uh, to be honest, we're pretty fast. Not as fast as like I, I don't know these big players out there, like Web two companies out there. But as an mm-hmm. end user, you don't feel the difference. You literally have to time it to see there's a difference. Obviously, there is because we do end to end encryption. Like client side encryption is going on. File spitting is going on. File distribution is going on. But uh, when it comes to the speed. The big companies out there in our sector, in the blockchain sector, uh, like, again, I don't have to drop names, but like those decentralization uh, storage companies, they're fast at later on, but at the beginning, when you first initiate that download uh, or file transferring, they're pretty slow. Their file access latency is pretty high. Uh, mm-hmm. That's basically the reasoning when you, when, I don't know, I, maybe it's not the best way to say it, but they, we had torrents. We used to use, I don't know who used it, but people used to use torrents. And as if you were to start, <laughs> okay, I didn't wanna, that's your choice of bringing it up. Hey, who, who didn't have a little fun with Pirate <laughs> yeah. Bay back then? Okay. But you'll recall when you first initiate that download, uh, as you get more and more peers, 
your download speed is pretty slow. But when you have 50 peers, it's pretty fast. That goes to the same uh, problem with these players out there. So when we chose those biggest companies out there, like Google Cloud, Azure, AWS, as our storage nodes, we had a chance to reduce the number of splitting. So instead of 200 pieces, instead of 100 pieces, and distributing among these personal computers where they have a lot of variables regarding their internet speed, is their computer turned on or turned off? How is their latency? A lot of variables out there. But when we use these big giants, it's scalable and it's fast. And we don't have to spit it 200 pieces anymore because the storage place is already safe. So we reduce the number of pieces that we have, which helps the file access latency, which helps the speed and performance as well. So as an end user, not much difference. Let me let me give for those people that are listening to this that have no idea what we're talking about a, a quick overview and please correct me, Mert, because I'm going to no, be wrong no. on this. So in 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 the days of of Napster and LimeWire, when you kind of were were going to other people's peer, your you know peer to peer, meaning that you were going to go to you know I'm going to go to Mert, I'm going to go to Abe, and I'm going to ask for certain portions of his files. That if let's just say the file is broken up into a hundred different pieces, and each pe- each piece is, um, you know, I, I say ten megabytes now, and we go we laugh, but that was a lot, you know, back in the the late nineties and, and early two thousands, um, and so you could t- technically have you know a hundred different uh, peers that you were trying to attach, you know, trying to link to, and they were all kind of their upload speed was generally less yeah. than your download speed. And, and, you know, you could literally go up and down the list and say, I'm going to kill node, you know, 25 because it's, it's going so slow and, and node 80 is, is just burning through these things left and right. And so you literally had a manual thing you had to look at and, and figure out. So that was back in the old days of connecting to a bunch of dial-up modems, um, you know, to, to get a single file. What Mert's saying now is that he's going, hey, we're splitting this up. You know, uh, Azure has pieces of it. S3 has pieces of it. You know, there's a little bit in, in, in a couple other protocols. Um, and so the, the limits are technically really just your download speed because you are maxing out small chunks of it across multiple different content distributions networks. Um, so, so theoretically, once it gets going, it should accelerate past a single source like Dropbox or something. Exactly. Else. So that's very cool to hear. Oh, yeah, exactly. Okay, I did right? I did, I did that good? No, pretty good. And pretty, pretty good. I mean, we also, again, I think we found as a company, as a team, uh, that small gap that sweet spot there when it comes to again our comparison with the other blockchain guys out there which again full respect but we're following a, another unique path yeah that's wonderful I, you know what comes to mind is for anyone who's really new to this it's it almost sounds like you're taking a, a big puzzle you're turning it over and you're just breaking up into multiple pieces it's a 200 piece puzzle piece and what might have happened in the past is you're giving out all the 200 pieces to various different computers and nodes. Essentially what you're doing now is you're taking that same puzzle piece and you're breaking it up into just four big chunks and you're handing it off to more powerful data centers who can then put the puzzle pieces together, still turn over because nobody really knows what the puzzle, the picture is actually like, except the person who's requesting that puzzle piece. Is that is exactly? That yeah, yeah. If you open a bu- an S3 bucket on AWS, there will be thousands, hundreds of millions of little pieces, encrypted pieces, like and right. by themselves, they're just corrupted files. You can have no clue right. what that file is, where that it belongs to. You can only understand that through the blockchain, where you, you have to go to your block, mm-hmm. to your transaction, decrypt it with your key. You will have the whole metadata and find all of the slot information, get the pieces together, decrypt it once again, boom, you have your file, and it's 
instant. I swear to God, please go ahead. Try That's it. Awesome. <laughs> oh, believe me, believe me. And if you and don't, uh, let's ask this question: What's the largest file? Um, you know, can, can we move a couple terabytes up there? Now, that's a good question as well. Um, so, <laughs> since we're doing end-to-end encryption and since it's happening on a client, obviously we have limitations. When it comes to our desktop apps or mobile apps, there's not much limit. We personally limited ourselves to 20 gigabytes for now because 99% of our customers and consumers, that's good enough. But when it comes to the browsers, that's an interesting place because uh, the operating softwares are not giving the whole CPU, the whole memory power to browsers right away because at the end of the day, you're just opening a website and if they require all of, and if they're allowed to get all of the CPU, they can basically crash your browser and computer. So there's a limitation between the operating software and the browser itself. So for now, our limitation on the browsers is one gigabyte only. But we have already solved this problem and we'll be launching our plugins very soon. Uh, and when you download a plugin into your browser, Jay, uh, that plugin can then get full access to whole, the whole CPU or the memory in, within your computer, which then allows us to, again, open up the upload to 20 to 50 to 100 gigabytes without any problems. Um, but it was interesting for us to face that as well because our browser compatibility is the most recent thing that we launched. We thought we couldn't be able to do it two or three years back, uh, but we have, again, put a lot of R&D down to really accomplish this as well. Mert, thanks for uh, sharing so much of your information here. Your your expertise in this industry is is really profound, and I think you're doing really high-quality work here for not only just individuals who are trying to keep their data safe as we start to gravitate in, in, that, in that direction, but also for companies and corporations, too. Um, with Transfer Chain being around for a couple of years now, why don't you walk through some of the products that you have so that some of the people listening uh, to our show can really understand what your what your value propositions are and some of the products that they can sort of explore with you. Of course, of course. So at its very core, it's the most common feature out there. We provide cloud storage. So just as if you're using your iCloud, your Dropbox, any Google Drive, we have your storage, but now it's a lot more safer, 100% private, 100% secure. Uh, but we also have file transfers because obviously okay. if you have your data somewhere, you want to transfer it to somewhere. But if we were to let you go and use another service, again, that's you're breaching your own security. So we also have a transfer feature directly uh, within to another transfer chain user or at the same time, the recipient doesn't have to have an account. They can still access and download the data from the web, from their mobile, same thing. But then we also introduce file requests. So we see, saw a lot of insurance companies, that was a use case, big use case there, uh, when we were doing POCs with them, that they were grabbing a lot of data from their consumers, their customers, uh, but they did not have a safe way. They were still using emails to get that personal data. So we also introduced wow. file requests where we're kind of replacing FTPs, SFTPs, where uh, the user or the company can create a link boom, like instantly and share that with the recipient. And then they can upload their pen, pen test, penetration test reports. They can rep- uh, upload, for instance, our big four. Uh, we had all these reports, such confidential data that right. was just being moved around emails. Yeah. They can just receive these uh, big four reports from these companies with this one simple link. Uh, we also have messaging built in, uh, but that's not okay. available on the browsers yet, only on our mobile phones. And 
interestingly, we brought all these features together in a single app. So you don't have to go change different apps, different products. They're Amazing. all built into a single interface. So you can easily move around and use it as if... You've already beat Google. Yeah, <laughs> yeah seriously. <laughs> the amount of time I have to spend logging in and logging out of all their various products. So that's awesome. Yeah. And and it sounds cost-effective too, right? It is. Or especially it is. at least for individuals. That's true. Because, I mean, some companies are using transfer products and then another one for storage, another one for... Or still, there are IT com- ITs that are manually opening up FTPs to ha- handling these kind of data interactions. Now it's just in a single app. Uh, and when it comes to the prices, by the way, for us, uh, if you go to any Web2 traditional method out there, we're almost the same price, sometimes 10, 15% cheaper, sometimes 10, 15% yeah. more expensive, but we're in that range, which is also very surprising for these uh, companies out there. So you bring up an interesting point here, and data breaches are just continuously just getting worse. Um, doesn't matter what industry, what space, forward, backward, old school, new school. Why do you think it's still increasing? Is it is a lot of just user mistakes? Is it a lot more hacks? Um, I mean, you're the perfect person to ask this question. So I'd love to get your thoughts as far as you know why we still see this continuous um, the trend going. I mean, definitely one of the big reasons is a lot of companies are moving to cloud. A lot of data is now being generated. There's a lot more data out there than before. But at the same time, the methods that these companies or all of us are that are using today hasn't changed that much for like a decade. Uh, We're still using very similar products. And when it comes to these attacks, they're just keep rising as well. And these attacks, cyber attacks, are just becoming more and more autonomous. And uh, there are a lot of interesting facts when it comes to our industries. It's interesting to note that each company today, in a global average, are spending three times of what they spend on that cloud storage to protect that cloud itself. That's very inefficient. Inevitably, the annual damages that had has happened because of these data breaches has reached six trillion dollars annual so our unique value proposal is here also you don't have to spend that much on cloud security we are bringing that security we are bringing that privacy within built into the product so when it comes to us we're also showcasing some cost effectiveness cost efficiency um so that's also an interesting nuance uh but we don't always say that out loud because I think data security and privacy itself is already a huge, big subject that has to be taken care of. Uh, but companies just have to stop maybe using old school traditional methods because uh, they're just vulnerable and they have to update, upgrade themselves as if if it's a manufacturing business, they're upgrading their uh, manufacturing systems, their factory. They have to do the same thing when it comes to their IT um, and really take care of your key. It's your key. It's your data. If you just randomly use these cloud providers or like even on-prem, there are a lot of risks um, that companies are still not really cared about. But we care for you. We care for that company. It's really our core mission. Like the day I'm going to be the happiest probably will be like okay, like these big corporations, like the cloud pr- providers out there, are switching and changing their systems when it comes to distributing the data, encrypting the data, and really leaving no data on the cloud without encryption or without this file splitting going on. I think that day I'm going to be like, okay, like I'm check mark. I can now hang out with Jay and we can chill in Zurich. 
you know, expand the blockchain space with A, I'll come down. And then, yeah, we're going to be hopefully having some good times in the future, but yes. Yeah, I think I think it's going to be a few minutes before uh, before we we kind of get there because there's a lot of education yeah, we're going to need to do um, for for the the CIOs and the CTOs um, that, that that still don't understand the difference between you know blockchain technology and and cryptocurrencies. That's true. Um, and it's, I know, and it's a it's a constant battle that I have of you know, and and there's a lot of people that really do understand this. You know, I've I've spoken to people that are running multi billion dollar hedge funds um, that will not even think about touching cryptocurrencies. Uh, no interest in it. Not even a, a, a there's no theses, you know, even Bitcoin that they would touch. But blockchain technology is very interesting to them because it can manage regulated financial products. Um, it does have encryption levels that go well above and beyond, you know, the security of, of um, you know, traditional, you know, content distribution networks, you know, such as Azure and everything else because you it is encrypted, you know. Dropbox says that my, my data is encrypted. Um, there's only, but, it is encrypted, but... yeah. For Dropbox specifically, which is public, by the way, server-side encryption, yeah. it's only server-side. So they have the keys. So just like any yeah. other traditional player out there, meaning they can do a lot of things, but there has to be an end-to-end client-side encryption, period. And, and, a, back, and a backdoor is a backdoor. And, and while you, you say the good guys have that, that backdoor key and, and they're, they're watching it, we've seen what happens when, when suddenly you don't. Um, and, it's, and when we're talking about you know, data like this, you know, pictures, videos, I mean, think of, of just losing uh, when, when people get their phones hacked and they, they get their personal pictures. You know, corporations you know, do have you know, IP. They do have, it's not about you know, are they doing anything legal, but they have IP. They have you know, uh, regulatory compliance. Exactly. Exactly. They can't, you know, disclose people's information. So that's extremely important. So I, I love that that thought. Um, so Mert, as we as we kind of uh, bring this guy to a close here, you, you've you've been doing this for a long time. Uh, you understand blockchain technology and, and the overall asset class, and I, I love what you guys are doing with Transfer Chain and, and the suite of projects products. Um, where do you see kind of the, this industry going? You know, do you see us really continuing to to all the hype and energy going into meme coins and and uh, you know? monkeys uh, JPEG monkeys or or can we start to see some of the real products and projects uh, start to get the the attention and and true like I said novel integration into the the web 2 world like what you guys are doing are we going to start seeing that kind of attention um, and how I think that's a good question because there has been a lot of again a roller coaster vibes that we had in the past 10 years and this specifically in this industry as well. But just like the web itself, how it started back in early 2000s or like late 90s, um, there has to be that climax and everything coming, falling down and then rebuilding. And whoever's left to rebuild to that, that trust, whoever's left to really take that one step further are really the ones that are keen to making big differences in the world and not just there for the hype. I think especially in the 2018 and maybe just two years ago, there was still a big, big hype. And not just in the blockchain industry. Two years ago, we also had a lot of startups out there, a lot of high valuations, um, insane amount of investments that are kind of like more too much aggressive maybe. Uh, Now all of that came down. Um, Is today a healthy moment? Probably not. Maybe something in the middle is the most healthy uh, spot, I think. And in the upcoming two or three years, I think whoever is left or whoever is just starting now to this 
like when you look at it out from outside, you don't see the hype of 2021 or 2018 anymore. So you have to really want to be in the sector to be coming in as a new player today. So those players out there and also the ones that are like us that has been riding this roller coaster for a while now and just got used to it and are still keen to continue building, I think will be the ones that are really shaping the future when it comes to Web3. Um, I'm pretty excited, to be honest. Like There are so much potential still, this like insane amount of potential, and I'm just welcoming all the other founders in the Web3 space, doesn't matter, Web2 space, continue building and like changing things in the world. Uh, it's just a nice feeling. It's something else. Not You cannot explain that. You've faced, faced that multiple times, Jay. Uh, hopefully, uh, myself and my team will be sharing that experience as well. Uh, but I'm here to really have my whole hair go white and continue building. And when I have things change around the world, when it comes to privacy and security, I can take a quick break and then probably in a few days roll back in. That's amazing. That's amazing. Um, fabulous answer, by the way. <clears throat> so uh, with, with bringing this to a close, Mertz, uh, how can people learn more if they want to reach out to you and um, you know, kind of want to interact with you? Uh, what's the best way to find Transfer Chain and everything you guys are working We're on? We're out there in every single social media platform, Twitter, uh, LinkedIn, even Instagram. We're running this special privacy, data privacy, data security uh, content. It's very unique. I like it on Instagram as well. But even... Please reach out to me if you want to reach out to me personally, LinkedIn, Twitter. We will probably have these social links within the description of this video. Yep. Um, and within 24 hours, you'll be getting a response from me no matter what, because I'm literally cool. on the computer or on my phone all the time. Uh, have more than excited to really welcome the Y Wales community as well and also Riverside as well. And yeah, looking forward to it. Fabulous, man. Really appreciate it. Uh, bringing this to clo close, uh, Abe, thank you so much for, for the time today. Uh, great co-host as always. Mert, I appreciate you coming by and, and really love the education. I'm going to go ahead and, and see what I can break uh, uploading and downloading and I'll, I'll time it compared to this because I've got uh, some some really nice 10 gig fiber here in the building. So, okay, sounds good. Uh, we'll, 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 we'll run a node for you as well. Sounds why good. Not? Um, but why Wales? This is uh, Mert with uh, Transfer Chain and uh, we'll see you guys next time. YWales was founded in 2021 by Jay Steinbach, a passionate entrepreneur and business owner with the purpose of bringing YPO and YNG members together in the cryptoverse. YWales is a collaborative and confidential community centered around cryptocurrencies and blockchain technology, an exclusive crypto hub of more than 600 members. To be notified when we release new content, please subscribe to our show in your preferred listening app. For more information, visit www.ywhales.com. YWales is not affiliated with YPO, but at this time only allow for YPO, YPO Gold, and YNG members due to privacy and confidentiality. Support and production for today's episode was done by Truthwork Media. Nothing in the podcast constitutes professional and or financial advice, nor does any information on the podcast constitute a comprehensive or complete statement of the matters discussed or the law relating thereto.